Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, that's where we're going to be at this morning. Well, it looks like some folks didn't stay up too late last night. I hope everybody had a, a good Christmas, was able to get together with family and just have an overall blessed time. Let's pray real quick and we'll get going. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I come to you this morning just full of praise, Father. Grateful, Lord, that we're able to come together to, to worship you together, meet here, Lord. Um, there's, there's so many places in this world that this isn't allowed to, to happen. And, and right now we can. And so, Father, I, I just absolutely grateful that we can, we have this time to do this. So, Father, I ask that you'd be here this morning with us, that you would bless this morning, that you would be blessed by what is said, Lord, and that the words that I say would only be words that you gave me. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a lot of really crazy things going on out there in the world today. And you see people, they're, I think we've all witnessed it in the last couple of years, People are all over the place and how they're reacting, how they, how they're, their, their moods, their demeanors. Um, it's affecting everything right down to how we interact with each other. Uh, some people are just getting downright mean. And, and I think it's fear. Fear of the unknown because there, there is so much going on out there that we're seeing. And people don't really know how to react to it. And I, and I think it's because, I believe it's because we as a culture, we as a people have lost sight of, what, of who and what we need to be looking to for security and for hope. And that's kind of what I want to, I'm hoping that I'll be able to show this morning. You know, and it's pretty typical on a New Year's the first New Year's sermon uh, of the year for a pastor or somebody to, to give a challenge for the year. And the only thing I'd say is, is that I would challenge you to listen to what I'm trying going to try to put forward today. And I would challenge you to take that throughout your life this year. And when you start getting frustrated and you start getting worried and scared, just take a breath and stop for a minute and think about where... Why, why am I reacting the way I am? Have I lost sight of who I'm supposed to be looking to? And remind yourself that you serve a God that is mighty. You serve a God that none of this is a surprise to. He foreknew it, foresaw it, and allowed it. And you can take what is happening, take a deep breath, look at Him and say, all right, God, I'm... I'm a little concerned here, but I trust you. And that's where we need to be. So if you turn with me to Matthew 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 25, and then we're also going to jump over in a few minutes to Mark. But starting in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what will you put in, put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You can look at that and we can stop right there and go home. God just told you, stop worrying. Stop it. Just don't do that. A little easier said than done. You need to understand, though, what God has told us many times in Scripture. When we look at what's happening around us, how many of you can control what the government does? How many of you can, in this room can control what another government does? Or what everybody around you feels or believes or thinks? That is literally out of our control. There's only one person that can control that, and that is God. And God told us in Ephesians 6, 12, He said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rules, rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. When you're worrying, when you're sitting there and you're fretting about what's going on around you, What's going to happen tomorrow when the government makes a new decision? What's going to happen tomorrow when a group of people in our society make a decision? When you're worried about all that, you are, in a sense, saying, I'm going to fight this spiritual war on my own. I don't need God. And I think every one of us have tried that, and I think every one of us know how that works out for us. It doesn't work out real well because God did not design us to fight this battle on our own. God designed us to look to Him to fight it for us. He's just waiting for us to trust Him. There's nothing I'm ever going to do that's going to solve the problems in this world. I can pray. Prayer, prayer is the tool I have. Prayer is the thing God gave me. So if I'm going to fight, I need to do it on my knees. I need to be praying. And let God do the fighting. Verse 27 of Matthew 6 said, Which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Or as uh, my wife and I have talked over the years, she's the warrior of the two of us. She kind of gets after me and says that I don't take things serious. And to a point, she might be right. But when I say don't worry about something, it's not that I'm not taking it serious. What I'm, what I'm getting at is, if you sit there and make yourself sick worrying about something, did it fix the problem? No. You're sick and you still got a problem. 
So what good did that do? So again, we got to turn it over to God. And that's where prayer comes in. You got to go. When you find yourself in those moments where you are just, you're letting the things of this world drive you nuts and you are, you know, I mean, there's people out there, they'll, they'll give themselves ulcers, they'll give themselves heart attacks, they'll everything else because they don't stop worrying. Well, the problem's still there. Turn to God. Because God knows what our needs are. And the greatest thing about that is He also knows what our fears are. God knows everything that scares me. So when something happens and I start getting worried about it, and, and instead of, because I can get mad about things too, not just be afraid of it. But God knows those things that make me mad. God knows those things that bring me fear. And God knows what I need. He's just waiting, me to, waiting for me to just stop trying to do it on my own and turn to Him. And throughout Scripture, in various forms, 365 times it says, do not be afraid. There are 365 days in a year. So one for each day. Be not afraid. It doesn't say it exact. In many cases, it says it exactly like that. It says, be not afraid. Other times it says, don't be anxious or, uh, you know, don't worry or whatever. But if 365 times Christ, God is telling you, don't worry. Don't be anxious. And typically when we look at scripture and we see God repeating himself, he's serious. There's a reason. In John 16, 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And after he has just told them a bunch of things, it's getting ready to happen. And in 1633 of John, he says, I have said these things to you that in, your, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Remember Linda Ronstadt, I never promised you a rose garden? Along with the good, there's got to be a little bad. Along with the sun, there's got to be a little rain. Well, God's telling you, the peace is in Him. Tribulation's in the world. And right now, we're in the world. And so, we are going to have problems. We're going to have trouble. The joy that we can have, the peace that we can have, is in Christ. And if we will turn to Christ... Those problems that we're going to face daily, because they're coming, we're going to be more and more into these problems. Those problems won't go away, but it'll be in how you and I handle them, how we face them. And in the manner in which we face these problems, it's interesting because it seems like you don't bring the stress as much when you turn them over to God. Those problems are still there. We're still fighting them. We still have... Issues with our families, you know, people not getting along with each other. Issues at work, you know, uh, issues in the world. It's, it's always going to be there. But our relationship with Christ will change how we deal with these issues, how we deal with these problems. In chapter 6 of John there, of, uh, I'm sorry, of Matthew, it ends there. It says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
So if I'm worrying about tomorrow, all I'm doing is borrowing tomorrow's trouble and bringing it there today on top of the troubles I've got here today. Oh, that's kind of dumb. So don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about what's going on today. And better yet, instead of worrying about it, pray about it. Turn it over to God. Trust Him to see you through it. If you will, turn over to Mark chapter 13 for a second. We're going to look at this from a a different perspective. And in this, uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's talking about troubles of the end times, things that are getting ready to come. Starting in verse 3 of chapter 13, it says, and And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. For they must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. And these are the beginning of the birth pains. Verse 9. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and they deliver you over, don't be anxious. Be beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents, and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures it to the end will be saved. There's some, there's some pretty hard times coming, folks. You think that things are weird now? Things are getting turned upside down? We ain't seen anything yet. You think you got things to worry about right now? You wait till this starts. I personally believe it's already starting. And do you think for a minute you worrying about it and fretting about it, making yourself sick, you think it's going to fix it? There's only one way this is ever going to get fixed, and that's going to be the return of Christ. That's when Christ calls the church home. That's when it'll be fixed. But what's awesome is that even in the point of of persecution, God has promised us peace and joy and hope. And it all comes down to how, where where am I at with Him? where, Where is my walk with Christ at? Where's your walk at? Because where you stand in Christ will make every difference in how you handle what's coming and what's going on. There are some tough times coming. And it's been, I mean, I realize that there has been pastors have been on the pulpit for 100, 200 years or more saying, end times are coming. You know, rapture is going to happen. Christ is coming back. They've been saying it since Christ ascended to heaven. There are so many prophecies today 
that have been fulfilled that up until those times had not been fulfilled. And when you look around you today and you see how everything we've ever known is getting turned upside down, right's right, wrong's wrong. Look what our government's doing. Our own government, look at what it's doing today. The most abhorrent things are celebrated in society. We slaughter our young at a rate and so efficient that the ancients would be amazed and they would condemn us. And they used to stick them in jars and bottle them up inside of a wall asking blessings of their gods. Who oh, ain't, got, ain't got nothing on us. If you look at Rome and Greece, the promiscuity and the same sex couplings and what were going on, they got nothing on us. In fact, we've taken what they've done and we're taking it even further. You're watching the world turn upside down. You're watching society go into places that God never meant. You know, the scripture teaches against and it is celebrated in our societies. Kind of gives you the warm fuzzies, doesn't it? Problem is, we're looked at as the problem. If we don't participate in this and we don't condone it, well, we're the problem. They, they tell us that, you know, we're hateful. We're, we don't, we're, we're non-inclusive. I don't hate somebody because they do things that, that Scripture teaches against, but I certainly don't want to participate in it. And because I don't want to participate in it, that doesn't mean I hate you or hate somebody else. But that's what society says. Society says, well, you're just hateful. Look at, you can look at Canada, the United States, and other countries around the world right now. Pastors are going to jail for standing up here right now and preaching what I'm saying right now because it's classified as hate speech. And that's going to get worse. As time goes on, it's going to get worse. It's not a But God says these things have to happen. And he says, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. It's got to happen. All these things have to happen to set it up for, his, for Christ's return. The problem is that we as Christians, we're like anybody else. We want to be liked. We, we want to fit in, right? I mean, we all like to have friends. But the problem is, is that out of fear, out of anxiety, out of just the desire to get along. We do what we, we tend to do, what we got to do to get along with society. The problem is, is that usually means we compromise. We, we let all this build up in us and they're like, I just want to get along. And so what do I do? I compromise. I compromise my beliefs. I compromise my faith. Well, what is that going to do? You start compromising, and trust me, the world don't care. They just want to see me get tore down. They want to see you get tore down. And we do this, when we compromise, we do this at the peril of our souls. And what I mean is, I'm not saying you're not saved. But what I am saying is, you're not going to have any joy. 
I don't know where this saying comes from, but I think I heard John Corson say it first, talking about just this very subject. He says, you take somebody that does this, he goes, they got too much of the world in them to enjoy Jesus and too much Jesus in them to enjoy the world, and they're a miserable person. And then what do you do? You just continue to fret and worry and, and just things get worse and worse and worse when we should stop for a moment and just turn it over to God. Give it to Him. Let God take care of it. But we tend to try to do it on our own. And when you look at the, the Webster Dictionary and you look up uh, compromise, compromise means concession. You're going to concede. You're giving up something. And that's conceding is what concession means. You're going to give something up. And conceding, <laughs> conceding means you gave up. You acknowledge something grudgingly or hesitantly, something you disagreed with. You relinquish grudgingly or hesitantly things like your own beliefs. You accept as true, valid, or accurate those things or opinions that you know are wrong. And you grant as a right or privilege things you know are wrong. That's what happens when we compromise. When you start compromising your belief, when you start compromising from what you know is true, what God has said in His Holy Scripture, this is the road you're going down. And it starts with you and me just worrying about things. Worrying about, well, you know, if, if I stand firm in the Word of God, people are going to think I'm weird. Well, heck, my wife will tell you I'm weird. I'm all right with that. The world will look at me and say, ah, you know, he, he's, he's hateful. Well, I don't like being said that I was hateful, but if that's what it takes, I reckon I'll be all right with it. Because I'm going to look to God. And that's my goal, to look to God. Trust God. Trust God to get me through this without compromising my faith, without compromising the things I know to be true because God told me in His Holy Scripture. And you may give these things up. You might do it grudgingly. But what does James 4.17 say? It says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him is sin. So when you look the other way, when you make that compromise, you're sinning. I'm sinning. We can't be compromising our beliefs and integrity. Because when we do that, and we do it claiming to be Christians, claiming to follow God, we bring great harm to His people and to His church. Because when we start doing that, then people start looking at the church differently. People start looking at the Word of God differently. And that's not how it ought to be. And we'll answer for that. Romans one thirty two. also, when, in Romans 1, there's a whole list of sin there. And that list of sin is because of the one sin. The one sin being they denied Christ. And as Romans 1 ends in verse 32, it says, And they know God's righteous decree that those that practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And again, it puts you back in the James 4, 17. It says, if you know what to do, the right thing to do and you don't do it, you're sinning. And you're just as guilty as the one that's doing it. 
And how do we wind up there? Again, we wind up in this trap because we start off worrying about everything. And it's a trap. It's just, it's, it's a trap of the enemy to suck us in, to detract us from where God wants us, focused on Him. And every single time we try to fix something ourselves, what happens? Well, we tend to blow it. I know I do. And I've got to have, I got to learn the hard way. I'll be the first to admit, I have to learn the hard way every time. I can't just start off doing it right. I got to go try to do it myself, fail. And then it's like, all right, all right, God, I knew better. I knew better. I should have come to you first. There are so many headaches that would have saved me if I'd have just done that first. And again, going back to that, that, that wanting to be accepted, that wanting to be um, light and be, because you're not, I mean, part of being a Christian, part of being called out is you're separated from the world. God has pulled you out. He has called you to be His. When you look at Matthew 6, uh, 25-34, the, the preceding verses prior to that, starting in verse 19, He tells us, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth. Well, that's what I'm doing. When I worry about what the world thinks, when I'm worrying about how the world is going to accept me, that's what I'm doing. I, I, I'm, my treasure is in the world. It's not in God. It's not in Christ. It's going to end badly for me every time. Look at what has happened in the last couple of years. How many times have you heard, well, if so-and-so would get elected, everything will be fine. He's going to fix everything. No, he's not. Or if I had a little bit more money, then I'd be able to take care of myself. You know? You're just going to get more problems, you know, or uh, maybe if I was in a position where I could insulate myself from everything that's going on. No, it's going to find me. It's going to find you. You're never going to run far enough away from it. And so what do you do? It is Christ. It is you got to quit. We got to quit worrying about everything. We got to quit worrying about what the world thinks. We got to quit worrying about our everyday little problems that arise. Because in the grand scheme of things, they're little problems. And huge to me. But then they are little. Mark 13, 11, he said, don't be anxious beforehand. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. You can also take that as being God will provide you what you need when you need it. Remember, He knew before you needed it. He knew you were going to need it. And it's interesting how here in America, specifically here in America, we're a wealthy country. And we have been for many years. Where do Americans place their faith and their hope. We place it in our might, our military. We place it in our money because we're rich. We are a rich country. And so how do we fix problems? Well, first thing we do, we throw a bunch of money at it. Right? 
Now, oh, heck, 14 billion here, another 40 billion there. What's 10 more, right? We throw money at problems. That don't work. Then what do we do? Fire up the military. Let's go take care of it. And we fix the problem. So we're used to fixing problems as Americans. This is a problem money can't fix. Military can't fix it. The only way it's going to fix this problem is God. And it'll be when Christ returns. And He's coming back. Whether anybody ever wants to admit to that or not, they can deny that all they want. It doesn't change the fact. Christ is coming back. And He'll make it right. And those that believe in Him, those that trust Him, He's going to call them home. And those that don't, they're going someplace that's unimaginably horrific. A place called hell. I wouldn't want anybody to go there. And you think about how we trust in our, our might and our money. You know, think in turn, what is it, uh, Matthew 9, where God is, or Christ is, this, the, the, the rich man, the rich young ruler that's come and talked to Christ. Then afterwards, when they get done, Christ said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Now, why is that? It's because the rich man tends to put his faith in what he has, puts his faith in the, the power of his wealth. I'll buy my way out of it. Or I'll, I got the money, I, I can buy whatever it takes to fix this problem. That's why. And Christians, we, we've got to understand that this is going to get worse. And we can't buy our way out of it. I can't go to the hardware store and buy something that I can bring back and fix the problem with. The only thing that's going to fix that problem is Christ. And it's just going to keep going and going until it culminates in Christ coming back. I was sitting in the, uh, at the house the other day, probably, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, sitting there in my chair, being off in my home world, like to space out. Knock at the door. I go answer the door, and, and there's this old older cuck. I gotta be careful saying older now because I'm getting older. Uh, but there's this couple standing there. <laughs> Might have been just a little bit older than me. Nice folks, and uh, he starts, "Hey, how you doing? You know, and what's going on?" I'm like, "Oh no." I'm like, "All right, what are you selling?" And he says, "Oh, I'm not selling anything." He says, "But I just." We're going around door to door. He said, we're talking to folks and just talking about the troubles that they see going around on in the world around them today and what's going to make it better. And I said, well, it's not going to get better. And just, you just stop. And I go, it's not going to get any better. Christ said it wasn't. It's going to get worse until he calls us home, until Christ comes back. He kind of stops for a minute and he goes, well... He said, I don't normally get that answer. <laughs> and, and we started to talk for a minute. And uh, I made a couple comments about, you know, my faith is in Christ. My hope is in Christ when these times come and when I start worrying about these. And he was from a different faith and he didn't really want to talk anymore. And so he left. But it was interesting. You know, uh, we agreed that it wasn't going to get any better. But I found it interesting he didn't want to talk about what the answer was. 
That's, that's sad. And, and this, the whole past couple of years have just intrigued me. Just watching, so professing Christians and the way that they have handled what's gone on in the last couple of years and the arguing and the bickering that's gone on amongst us as a, as a body. You know, when I say that, I mean the, the church. You know, the Christians getting mad at each other because one thinks one way and one thinks the other way about things that have nothing to do with salvation. And I'm talking about things that are going on in the society. Why in the world are we arguing about that stuff? Why are we worried about that? You think maybe it's because we lost sight of what we're supposed to be looking at? We're supposed to be looking to Christ. Now think about Peter. Peter's out there, that boat, ocean's blowed up, looks out there, and all of a sudden, here's Christ walking across the water. And Peter says, well, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Christ says, well, come here. So Peter hops out of that boat and walks across the water. Uh, you know, I can just think about what I would do. Jump out of that boat, and I'd be, wow, check it out. Look at me. Well, what happened? He started to sink. <laughs> what did Peter start swimming like all get out to try to save himself? No. He cried out instantly to the Lord, and the Lord saved him. So what do we do? Will we start paddling like all heck, try to save ourselves, or are we going to reach out to Christ? Say, Lord, save me. That's the answer. The answer is Christ. Think about Elijah for a minute. We want to think about how bad things are for us. So you see, Elijah, he went to Ahab. Ahab and Jezebel probably being some of the most evilest people that ever existed. He went to them and said, hey, God says it ain't going to rain anymore. So everything's going to get real bad. And then Elijah takes off. God tells him to go hide in the canyons. And God just left him laying there to worry about things. God sent ravens to bring him food and feed him. God took care of his needs. Then later on, Elijah comes back. Now he's gonna he's gonna have a little brawl with the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel. This is this is all out of First Kings about. 14 through about 20. And uh, so Elijah's going to have it out with these prophets of Baal. And he gets them up there on the mountain. They're going to find out who God, who God really is, which one's God. And so they build their respective altars and them old 450 prophets of Baal are out there and they're screaming and yelling and doing whatever it was they do, cutting themselves with their swords, you know, trying to get Baal to answer them. Elijah even starts taunting them a little bit. He's like, well, you know, maybe he can't hear you. Scream a little louder. He might be sleeping. Well, after it became apparent that nothing was going to happen, Elijah says, all right, my turn. We're going to find out who God really is. So he takes 12 stones. He builds an altar. He puts a bunch of wood on that. He puts his sacrifice up there. Well, he didn't stop there. Then he has them douse it. And then he just start drowning it with water. And once it's good and saturated, then Elijah prays. Now, Elijah, he wasn't worried about what was going on. He knew who God was. He knew that the God that he served was a mighty God. He didn't have to worry. So, Elijah, after wetting this down, he prays. God comes down in fire, consumes everything, even the stones. 
sucks up all the water out of the ditch it said that was around it. Now we know which one's God. So then Elijah says, all right, those people says, you bring those 450 up here and takes them down there into the valley and kills every one of them. Kills all the prophets of Baal. So then old Ahab, he goes back and tells Jezebel what happened. Jezebel's like, oh yeah? Well, I'm going to do the same thing to him. And so Elijah, he's gone. He takes off. Gotta go. What happens? Did God leave him on his own? No, God sent an angel to minister to him. God sent an angel to bring him food. And then after that's over, God himself in a mild, quiet way comes and ministers to Elijah and assure, reassures him. That same God that reassured Elijah and took care of him is the same God we serve. We don't have anything to worry about because I promise you, your life ain't any worse than having Jezebel out looking to take a little bit of your hide away from you. Our life ain't that bad. And that God is the God we serve. As Christ was preparing His disciples for what was going to come, in John 14, He starts with, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. And then just before chapter 14 ends, in verse 29, He says, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it takes place, you may believe. So, God's told us there's going to be trouble. going to be lots of it. You're going to be hated. And oh, by the way, it's going to get worse. He told you that, so it's not a surprise. And if you don't think He told you that, it's because you ain't read this. And that right there is half the problem. Well, probably 90% of the problem with America today. Nobody's in the Word of God. Nobody reads God's Word anymore. They come to church on Sunday morning, that's all they get. If you're not spending personal time in the Word, it's no wonder you're scared. It's no wonder you're worrying. This is what's going to calm your spirit is reading God's Word and trusting Him. This is what's going to bring you close to Him. This is what's going to give you that, that faith that God's going to speak to you here. His Holy Spirit's going to minister to you. That's where your faith is going to build up at. That's what's going to get you through the mess that's coming. So where do you place your faith? Where do you place your hope? Was it kind of like in Matthew 6, 19? Do you, you place it in the treasures you built up here in the world? Or do we go to 6.33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek God first. Starting to worry? Seek God. Laying awake at night? Worried about paying a bill? Seek God. You're worried about your kids? Worried about maybe one of them is going wrong? Seek God. You're worried about your job? Seek God. I don't care what your worry is, what keeps you awake at night? Seek God first. Because God is faithful. He's proved it time and time again. And if we seek Him, we'll find Him. He promises that. Then He'll answer your prayer. If you're a believer, seek God. And if you're not a believer, seek God. Because then you really need Him. 
If you ain't a believer, you're going to have a rough time. It may look good for a while. This world starts to implode. But pretty soon, they're coming for you too. And I thought it was interesting in Mark 13, 7, when he says, and the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations. Rather than worrying when you're having problems, how about look around you? Because there's people around us that if we look, their problems are by far worse than ours. And there's a good chance they're not believers. Share Christ with them. Show them why you have hope. Show them why you don't have an ulcer and a problem. And every time you do that, every time you share Christ with someone, 13, Mark 13, 7 says here, you might be a part in bringing, back, bringing about Christ's return. Because it has the gospel has to be shared with everyone first. You ever thought about that? Ever, ever thought that maybe that little tidbit, you might have a, that one time you share Christ could be the catalyst that starts the ball rolling of Christ's return? That's kind of a cool thought. I think we get wrapped up in our problems too much and too easy. And especially as Christians, it shouldn't be that way. We really need to keep our focus on Christ. James 1, 2-3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may, may, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Mark 13, 13 says, But you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Remember, you go to, go to Revelations, the seven churches, and he says, he, him who endures to him will be the, you know, will receive what Christ has to offer. And I'm paraphrasing that because I have bad memory. And so again, I just, you know, I ask you, where's your faith? Where do you place your hope? Who do you look to? Are you looking to what you can do yourself? Are you looking to what the world can do for you? Or are you looking to Christ? I mean, how many people out there, another group of people I hear all the time, oh, if I just put away enough beans and bullets, I'll be okay. I can take the world on. <laughs> no, you can't. No, you can't. You need Christ. Christ is the only way you're going to make it. Christ is where your, your joy your peace. That's where it's coming from. It isn't going to be in what you hoard. It isn't going to be in who you vote for. It isn't going to be in how much money you got. When you start to worry this year, there's things, maybe you start to recognize things in your life are going sideways. Look to God. Look to Christ. Don't, don't sit there and have a pity party. Sit off by yourself and, and worry. And sometimes, I can tell you from experience, it even helps to go to another brother or sister and talk to them and be honest. Tell them, hey, you know what? This scares me. I'm worried about this. Think about, think about right now if you lived in Poland 
or Sweden or one of those countries over there, you've got the threat of a nuclear war on your doorstep. I don't know about you, but that would concern me. You know, there's nothing Joe Moore can do about it. But the one thing I can do is I can pray. I serve a mighty God. I may not always get it right. But you know what? He forgives me when I get it wrong. And that's a God every one of us serves. That is available to every one of us. And so this year, turn your, turn, turn your, your fears over to God. Turn your anything that is, it is bothering you. Turn it over to God. I think you'll find that you take things easier. You take things more in stride and you'll be better off for doing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, that uh, you do control this world, Lord. There's no surprises to you. You know everything before it happens. And Father, all I have to do is have faith in you, trust you, believe in you, Lord. Father, uh, we live in a, a world today that is can really make a person have a lot of fears. And so, Father, I pray that we would turn those over to you, that we would trust you, that we would seek you first, Lord. Father, I ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.